3: Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Team, welcome to the Freedom Hut, New Orleans edition. Great to have you with me here on the show. Thank you so much for joining. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. If you would like to call in. Oh, boy. We have a lot to get to today. Some of it is going to be response, after-action report, after-action analysis to the bombshells from late last week having to do with the Trump administration. Others will be uh, entirely new to today. Um, We have much to discuss, including the obstruction collusion trap now for President Trump. I I do want to create some kind of uh, ledger, uh, a whiteboard, a, uh, I don't know, just something where I could prominently display, maybe we'll set this up in the hut, all of the different accusations against President Trump, and as well as the criminal allegations, right, accusations that he is a racist, that he is uh, a misogynist, that he is a Russian stooge, that he is crazy, in fact, that he is not of sound mind, that you go through all of this. And then you could also create a list of all the criminal accusations, allegations against him from the left, including violation of the emoluments clause. If you don't know what that is, don't worry. Nobody really does, and it doesn't matter. Uh, But it has to do with getting money from foreign governments when you're the president. Uh, Also, the Logan Act, which has not been enforced in over 200 years. No one has spent a day in prison for the Logan Act. And yet Democrats are hinging their hopes, it would seem, of impeachment against this president on that so far. Uh, But the latest charge, after a slew of obstruction, I'm sorry, a slew of perjury cases now four people charged with lying to the fbi all just lying lying not under oath per se but lying to federal officials in a criminally culpable way now you're hearing a lot about obstruction and i just uh, we will get to that later this hour and perhaps into the next hour i want to note though that either you you really have two options here either president trump is able to get away with being the uh, craziest, worst, most evil politician in the history of the country who just keeps breaking laws and laws and laws, or the left has lost its mind. And I think you know which one of those is the correct answer, but it should be put in those terms because when you are coming up with new and increasingly creative and desperate ways to describe the criminality of this administration, maybe the problem is with the individuals coming up with those preposterous charges and not with the administration itself. I would just put that out there as food for thought for now. We will get into the botched report by ABC News on Friday. People are saying that it caused – and I believe that it would. uh, It certainly coincided directly in terms of the timing with a crash in the stock market. So we will look at that and we have some punishment meted out for an ABC reporter. We have all of this to get to, and then some updates on the race in Alabama, and uh, towards the end of the show, I want to talk to you about some of my experiences down here in the wonderful state of Louisiana and uh, the city of New Orleans, which I am quite fond of and already hoping to uh, plan my next visit to, but here is what I would uh, want to get into in some depth first on the show. You will recall, because this really ties into, oh, the president is— He's crazy, he's evil, he's a criminal, all the things that the media says, many of which they have had to already either walk back or abandon or apologize for, retract fake stories surrounding these issues, whatever it may be. Um, But there was also in the earliest days the Trump as Constitution shredder storyline that was out there. Trump as autocrat, Trump as dictator, even there were supposedly serious journals of opinion and news organizations and television shows that claim to be news when really they are just somewhat slickly produced propaganda. That back earlier this year in the winter wintertime, uh, early in 2017 we're running all these stories about how trump was a fascist trump was a a, a cr- encroaching hitlerian figure in this country hitler like they would say this there's a guy he's from my hometown it's got a, you know nice family lots of people work for him think he's great uh, you know likes golf and loves his country but yeah he's he's hitler like i mean the stuff that the debasing of the media that they have – debasing themselves that they have engaged in is almost hard to fathom. But you will recall that one of the earliest outrage moments against Trump, once he was president, had to do with the travel ban, the travel ban, or as it was cynically and dishonestly called by so many in the media, the Muslim ban ban. They said it was a Muslim ban. Now, not content to merely lie or misrepresent what was in fact in this executive order, the media also produced countless so-called constitutional experts who would go on TV or take to their place of scribbles, whatever it may be, I guess place of typing, no one really scribbles anymore, I do. I write notes out for the show sometimes in my chicken scratch handwriting, but nonetheless, they would go and write about how it was so obvious that the Ninth Circuit in Hawaii's overturning or really a temporary stay on Trump's executive order on immigration was a grotesque, unconstitutional act. It was a terrible overreach. You don't have to just take my word for it. Tyrone, play Cut 13, please.
0: So, this executive order was mean-spirited and un-American.
3: And everyone in airports that belong in my America, you are a part of the fabric of who we are. And we love you and we welcome you.
1: I love this country. And because I love this country, I am
2: horrified by its blemishes. And this immigrant ban is a blemish and it is
1: un-American. I would like to uh, make a plea for everyone if they can. Any money they have to spare, please donate to the ACLU.
3: protect the rights and liberties of people across this country. We 1983
0: Midwesters will repel bullies. We will shelter
3: freaks and outcasts, those who have no home. We will get past the lies. We will hunt monsters. We will not
2: turn away children. We will not turn away children. We will not turn away families.
1: The people is greater than the people in power.
0: Yeah.
3: Okay, I think you get the idea, right? No bans, love Trumps, hate Muslims, welcome here, all this stuff. That was all reaction to the Trump travel ban. And and if you if you wanted to, you could Google uh, just uh, endless articles written by people who claim to be legal scholars never mind just the journalists who put on their legal scholar hat for the day uh, who who make a pretense of it but actual credentialed in one way or another who were saying that this was uh, a terrible overreach by the president he has no right to do this even though there's a federal law that says that he does that's that's on the books but no no it's not allowed it's not allowed guess what happened today everybody the nine member supreme court handed down a one-page order that said that, you know what? The Trump travel ban can go into effect in its entirety, top to bottom, all of it, each country, each aspect. It is going to be, for the time being, the law of the land. But wait a second. I thought Trump was a was a, a fascist. I thought he was Mussolini in a blonde wig. I thought he was so evil and doesn't understand the Constitution. And oh, gosh, no. No, it turns out that the commander in chief most likely, as we see now from this Supreme Court decision, was acting well within his authority. And in fact, the initial argument used by the Ninth Circuit Court out in Hawaii, which just comes up with the craziest decisions imaginable all the time. It's just a a progressive legislating body that wears judges' robes. That's what you have with the Ninth Circuit. But it turns out that their argument that irreparable harm would be done to people in this country and to this country as a whole if, in fact, we did not allow people from all over the world— To have the right to come to this country as though that is a right that they just have, including those from the countries covered under the ban, like Syria, Chad, Iran, Libya, Somalia and Yemen. That. They have some right under the U.S. code, under U.S. federal law to just come here was an insane decision. I mean, it's opening the door to endless lawsuits that people would have standing, and I mean literally any people anywhere in the world would have standing to challenge being disallowed to come to America. Think about what that could do. I mean, there was just no rational explanation for this decision other than hashtag resistance. They hate Trump. Trump doesn't like Muslims, they say. And therefore, because Trump does not like Muslims, anything that he does that affects Muslims can be overruled by a federal court. This was the heart of the Trump anti-Trump resistance early on in the administration, and it has just been delivered a fly kick to the face from the Supreme Court. I mean, this is worthy of the great Chuck Norris or Bruce Lee themselves here. This is quite a blow, quite a roundhouse kick from the Supreme Court. Now, it's not done. It's not a done deal. I understand that. It will continue to, this whole notion of a travel ban, make its way through the courts. But at a minimum, at a minimum, the notion that Trump was acting as some crazy anti-Muslim despot with no grounding in the law and no constitutional authority to do this anyone who is telling you that or promoting that is either an imbecile or a liar in many cases both at best the left can now hope that this would be a close call when it gets to the supreme court maybe upheld partially not in its entirety i think it'll be in, i think it'll be as is Actually, I think the Supreme Court's going to say, no, the, the, the commander in chief has an obligation to protect U.S. citizens, to protect the homeland and has the powers to do so. And foreigners do not have a God given right to come to America. This is pretty straightforward stuff. But. We were told that it was quite the opposite. We were told that Trump was evil. He was vile. He was a bigot, that this travel ban was Incomprehensible, in and and just and worthless. On top of that, that anyone would do this was such a crazy idea. And now the Supreme Court looks at it and says, on the merits so far, the federal government should implement the entirety of the travel ban. And we will look at this when it makes, assuming it makes its way all the way to the Supreme Court. We will look at this when the time comes. But looking at it right now, yeah, that's right. The, the preponderance of likelihood here, the preponderance of the facts fall on Trump's side of the argument, not the media, not the left, not the hashtag resistance, not the never Trump judiciary, which is what Trump came up against here. This wasn't about being a bigot or hating Muslims. It affected a small percentage of Muslims from around the world. It was about the president looking at a list compiled by the Obama administration for countries prone to terrorism and taking action to protect people in this country, all people in this country. And the left hated him for it. And they lied about it. How can we have trust in institutions like, that's right, the federal courts and the media, when they get things like the travel ban so very wrong? Well, I can't even stop with the travel ban, my friends, because we also have to get to obstruction and the Mueller probe and everything else going on right now. But travel ban goes into effect in full, is the headline for today. We'll have much more right after this break. Stay with me. I just want to note that the reports that came out on Friday about a a Never Trumper as part of Mueller's investigatory team, or investigative team, did not surprise me in the least. And we will talk about that. I have been sounding the alarm as much as I can about how progressivism has infiltrated the federal government. Uh, I saw it myself when I was a federal government employee. Uh, There was a tolerance for – you could call it never Bush hatred that would never have been allowed under the – and was not allowed because I was there for – partially for uh, both presidencies uh, under the Obama administration. And there is a disdain within the federal bureaucracy for conservatism, for – for I will say it for red state America. I'm speaking about broad trends. I know that this is not true by any stretch about everybody who works the federal government. Quite the contrary. There are uh, so many patriots and fantastic Americans working in the federal government that it pains me to have to focus at all on the never Trumper deep state elements in the federal government. But they're there. Right. They are a part of that community. And they have been allowed to become far too powerful and I think that they are a minority within the federal government The never-Trumpers like the one that has been uh, Unveiled from Mueller's team. I I think that that is uh, Not surprising uh, and I think that we should spend a little time discussing how it happens, but it is also Not everywhere, right? So it's try to keep it in the the proper context Uh, so with all of that, uh, a few more thoughts here on the, tra- on the travel ban before we talk about the obstruction probe and all the other stuff uh, that has been making headlines about the Mueller investigation. Uh, and that's just that I think Democrats and the left, right? The Democrats is just the – that's just the party machinery of the American left now because it's not a centrist party. It's not looking for compromise. The the DNC is now a progressive, statist-dominated organization, and and yes, uh, has at least a a Marxist twang to it, a Marxist tint, a, a a feeling of redistributive nirvana is just going to come over the Democrats at any moment. That's what that's the sense you get from it. Uh, but the left, the Democrat Party, has not really come. To face and to realize just how damaging it is to their political hopes with the American people that they really make no distinction between Americans and non-Americans. They don't think that there is much of a difference at all. In fact, their uh, continued games of, of saying they want to close the border off to illegal entry, but doing everything in their power to make sure it doesn't happen. They just prove with their actions, forget about their words, that they don't view the federal government's role as treating Americans any differently than they would treat anyone else from anywhere else in the world. Really, we are not a country, a polity of patriots with a devotion to a shared sense of uh, constitution and liberty and all of that American stuff. No, to Democrats we're just. A jobs program and a soup kitchen for the rest of the world. It hurts them. And we're seeing that continue to play out. Let's talk about, quote, obstruction. Stay with me.
2: I think what we're beginning to see is the putting together of a case of obstruction of justice. I think we see this in the indictments, mm-hmm. the four indictments and pleas uh, that have just taken place in some of the comments that are being made. Uh, I see it in the hyper phonetic uh, attitude of the White House, the comments every day, the continual tweets. The
3: Pathetic, isn't it? Buck Sexton back with you. Now, that was the uh, pathetic analysis of Senator Feinstein on the obstruction case against Trump. So we can't prove any collusion. In fact, even the most recent big story about Flynn charged with lying to the FBI uh, has has nothing in it whatsoever about collusion. And, And now you have two camps on this issue. Some people who say if there was a conspiracy, which would be the proper criminal designation for what theoretically could have happened with Russia and they knew it and they had any proof, they would have made Flynn plead to that. He would have pleaded to that. But they had him – they had him take a plea on line to the FBI which I will note for all of you listening, is something that people who don't know anything about how law enforcement works like to spout off on. It was ill-advised for Flynn to speak to the FBI, but he did it not because he had something to hide, but in his mind, I'm sure, because he had nothing to hide. And then over the course of the interview with the FBI, misled them or did not give them the whole truth, out of a desire to avoid embarrassment, this is just my read on it. I'm not saying that I was in the room or something, and ran into legal trouble. But a well-advised client, for example, of any lawyer would never sit down and speak to the FBI. Do not speak to and any FBI agent. I know there are some folks at the FBI who listen to the show. If you ask them, and they're being you know, and they like you enough to be honest with you, uh, I'm just kidding about that. Uh, but they'll tell you, yeah, don't. Without a lawyer present, do not talk. You do not talk. It is a very bad idea. You have nothing to gain. And as we see, so much to lose. Uh, You know, if you lie to local law enforcement, yeah, it's illegal, but there's a lot less teeth. Five years in federal prison for lying to the FBI is what you can get. That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, And that is, look, Flynn's not going to get five years, but they're able to exert leverage on him because of, how that statute is structured anyway back to obstruction though which is what got us which is where we are now there's no collusion evidence uh, sorry collusion <laughs> that's a that's a, i've coined a new term of russia collusion no collusion hey hey there's no collusion everybody you know what i mean uh there's no russian collusion and so now they turn to well let's get trump on obstruction maybe we can get him on obstruction his lawyer apparently tweeted out something from Trump's account about how he knew Flynn lied or. But and I, I don't know what that was all about. I can't explain that to you, but I can tell you this. The calls about obstruction tell us much more about the desperation, the desperation that the left has to just get Trump on anything and how they would be perfectly happy to declare a major victory here by saying that anything that they can get Trump on, even if it's a process crime, is justice. And it's really disgusting what's going on. And the Mueller probe has been ill, uh, has been ill-advised and unwise and a, an abuse of power from the start and an abuse by anti-Trump forces within the government and outside of it as well. And you see this thing with James Comey now, Oh, yeah, he was so honest and wonderful. Now we see him, he's, you know, he thinks he's like the, the Justice Department meets the Dalai Lama or something now. I'm always seeing these James Comey tweets. It's like, the river is peaceful and placid, like justice, which will come for Trump one day. It's like, wait, what? This is the guy who was the most trusted FBI guy of all time? Please. Please, give me a break. It's like Deep Thoughts with Jim Comey. Uh really astonishing. I mean, I've known this all along. He, the president's right about Comey. He is a showboat. He does think that he's something really special. And uh, when you see what happened with, and I, I, this is not whataboutism as much as the left may want to pretend it is. When you see the way that the Hillary investigation was handled by the FBI versus the way the Mueller probe and its you know FBI and DOJ tentacles are operating you can see in one case the machinery is on the DOJ machinery is on when it came to the Hillary emails but they made sure that they were going to get a certain end result that at the end of that DOJ conveyor belt there would be you know candy cups and candy corns and uni- you know unicorns and uh, cupcakes and whatever for Hillary and her squad everything was going to be fine for them that's what i'm trying to say Uh, And with the Trump process, as the machinery works, they are putting their thumbs on the scales. They are doing everything they can to make sure that it comes up with as many prosecutable offenses as possible and they can move as high up the chain as possible. It is a difference of intent that is affecting the process. And it is politicization. It is using The DOJ investigative process, uh, in this case of the special counsel, just has political payback. That's all it is. They're they're not going to find some email where Trump or they're not going to find some agreement where Trump is saying, yeah, Russia, help me win the election because it didn't happen and because it would have made no sense for Trump to have tried to make it happen. Uh, But obstruction. Now they're seizing on obstruction. They, They don't care what the charge is. This is very important for you to keep in mind. Even if they never prove Russia collusion, but they can just send as many Trump officials to prison as possible. They're so convinced of this, Democrats, the left, the media, that they will think it is justified. Ruining the lives of people like, you know, this guy Papadopoulos. and I mean, Manafort seems a little shady, but and Flynn made some made some blunders. But nonetheless, I mean, the guy served his country for, what, 30 years in the military? And now he's now he's going down for a non-crime lie to the FBI. You know, I should note that there, there should be built into the statute leniency for if you lie about something and you didn't do anything wrong, that should automatically be a, a lesser punishment. You know, that should be the equivalent of like, a you know, uh, I don't know. I, I was going to make up some legalese here, but a, a federal misdemeanor uh, instead of a federal felony if you're lying about if you're lying and there's no underlying crime and there's nothing that you are really covering up other than maybe your own embarrassment um, that would be a lesser punishment not saying no punishment you can't lie in official proceedings but remember it's not lying under oath it's just lying to FBI which is different this is a different thing everybody as you know so and it's done under very different auspices sometimes the FBI will bring people in and they'll say hey we just want to have a talk with you we just want to have a little chat with you. Some of, the, some of the people listening who are current or former FBI are like, oh, I know, I know this one. Hey, so, uh, you know, we're just, we, we, we thought you could help us with something. And, and they ask you a few questions. And, they, they, and, and you're helping them, right? You're a good guy. And then all of a sudden they go, yeah, but, you know, what happened here? Where were you this night? And you go, uh-oh. You know, I was, uh, you know, I'm uh, cheating on my spouse. I don't want to tell them the truth here. And you say, yeah, I was here. And they know that you were there. Meaning that they know that you're about to lie, and you do, and now they've got you. And you could say to me, Buck, well, you shouldn't lie to the FBI. But yeah, keep in mind that you think you're a good guy. You think you're showing up just to talk to them, right? You think, you think you're just being friendly and, hey, FBI, I want to help you. I'm a good American. You're not sitting there, I swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. You don't think that you're being cross-examined. It is different, okay? It is different. Uh, lying before a grand jury. Hey, who's ever done that before? I mean, do you know? Do you know anybody who would just stand up there, and and inside of all his fellow Americans and God would just would just lie? I mean, just lie to Grant. I mean, Hillary would. You know, would she ever do that? No. But, but Bill, he would do it. They didn't put Hillary in the hot seat, by the way. Looking at the way these two investigations—the email versus the Russia collusion processes—which tells you a lot. They didn't put Hillary in the position where if she made an error. Or lied about something she was facing criminal prosecution they were doing her lots of favors dershowitz and others are out there saying that the obstruction case bringing it back to that now are the obstruction case is is weak it is flimsy uh play clip four please do you see a case for obstruction building No, I don't. And I think if Congress ever were to charge him with obstruction of justice for exercising his constitutional authority under Article 2, we'd have a constitutional crisis. You cannot charge a president with obstruction of justice for exercising his constitutional power to fire Comey and his constitutional authority to tell the Justice Department who to investigate, who not to investigate. That's what Thomas Jefferson did. That's what Lincoln did. That's what Roosevelt did. We have precedents that clearly establish that you know remember when the democrats and some of you will know what i'm talking about here it's a while back the way they play ball is that when rick perry was going to withhold funds completely within his purview as governor of texas and that meant that he was going to withhold funds unless a a district attorney who had been drunk driving caught and and guilty uh stepped down right uh, because if you're going to be the district attorney for an area, you probably shouldn't be, you know, endangering lives and drunk driving. Um, and they tried to bring a felony criminal abuse of power case against the governor for doing he was allowed to, you know, to block the funds. He's allowed to block the funds, but they wanted to make it a criminal issue. And Rick Perry was right. I mean, by the way, it didn't go anywhere, but Rick Perry was right from an ethical point of view. He was right from a legal point of view, but they tried to criminalize it anyway, because that's how the left plays ball. Same thing here with Trump and obstruction. I should note that the, the charge next week will be the Logan Act. And I should note the charge the week after that will be uh you know conspiracy to violate the espionage act or something and they'll have some WikiLeaks story or so. I mean they th- th- it won't stop. This is not a fact-finding mission. I mean this is the core of what we are seeing from the Mueller probe. It is not about facts. It is political payback. It is people who expected to have powerful, prominent roles in a Hillary administration who want there to be scalps. They want heads to roll. They want there to be people who are punished for depriving them, the uh, swamp dwellers, if you will, of what is theirs or what they felt was theirs, rightly theirs, which was a cozy role and close ties to the Hillary administration um, and That's within the federal government. It's within the media. It's all over the place. You know, you'll notice there's been very little by way of inspirational policy or messaging from the Democrats since Trump won. They're just hoping to get an impeachment proceeding going, which I should note that's never going to happen. It's just not going to this is they're deluding themselves. Once again, I mean, the left's defining characteristic these days. I've often said it's hypocrisy, but I think it's really delusion now. I believe they are delusional. And they have this uh, self-reinforcing echo chamber of all these different charges against Trump. They start to believe it. They don't ever stop stop and step back and think to themselves, hold on a second. Who's the one who's really gone off the rails here? Is it us or is it Trump? It's a new criminal charge every week. It's a new, oh, my gosh, Trump's gone too far. This is crazy every week. And sometimes they replay old ones and, you know, there's something of a cycle here. But it keeps changing and changing and changing. You know, why don't they make their case to the American people about, you know, one, maybe there's something they'd like Trump to do that he'd be willing to do that even Democrats could agree would be a good thing. They could try that, but no, hashtag resistance. Instead, they want to bring an obstruction charge against him. They they want the Department of Justice, which I haven't even talked to you about the anti-Trump animus that now has been – on earth, from within the Mueller probe itself, and that ties into the Hillary probe. This stinks to high heaven. But they want the DOJ to get through these obstruction proceedings, what the Democrats could not get at the ballot box. That's what this is all about. Let's talk about this FBI, this FBI revelation that came just over the weekend and uh, what this means. And, you know, we, we keep hearing, I want to talk to you about this notion about Trump and institutions and, oh, he's attacking them. Oh, he's attacking these institutions. We'll discuss that and more coming up. Stay with me. Oh, yeah, baby. Chocolate milk is back in our public schools. Very exciting. Chocolate milk with 1% fat. According to ABC News here, we'll talk about ABC News in the next hour. Uh, with 1% fat, we'll sue me back on public school lunch menus as the Trump administration eases nutritional standards put in place under President Obama, end quote. It's great news, everybody. It's a great day for America. I love chocolate milk. If it wasn't a little bit calorically dense, I would probably drink it all the time. As it is, I drink way too much milk. And I drink whole milk. Because in the immortal words of Ron Swanson, skim milk is water that's lying about being milk. Uh yeah, this is this is good news. I used to love after school, I would go get chocolate milk. That was like my treat of choice, which is uh you know I'm not saying it was the healthiest, but darn it it was delicious. Uh so that's good news, and and the if you looked at some of the old stuff of, from the Obama administration of what they were trying to get kids to eat at lunchtime, and look, there's a whole discussion we had here about the, you know, and I'm not about to be lecturing anybody, given the amount of of grits and jambalaya and other New Orleans treats that I have been putting away over the last few days, more than my fair share, uh, but the lunches that the Obama administration wanted kids to eat, I was like, oh, great, you can have two two boiled Brussels sprouts and a little piece of no-skin chicken. And, like, that's going to be what your lunch is, you know? No, None of the fun stuff, you know? Not even, like, tuna fish sandwiches, you know? None of that. I ate so much tuna fish sandwich growing up. That was really my go-to. I used to make it for myself. I loved it. And chocolate milk, which, you know, there you go. But that's back in our public schools. So chocolate milk, great day for America there. All right, I mentioned ABC News. Uh, I, I don't have too much to say on this other than Uh, On Friday, you had a report that said that the that President Trump and I mentioned it Friday and they had to correct it, that President Trump had uh, spoken or told Flynn to speak to Russia before the election. Oh, I did not mention this on Friday. I. Oh, okay. Um, Well, Tyrone, can you play that audio, please? to the South
2: breaking news oh my god oh breaking oh. news ABC News Brian Ross is reporting Michael Flynn promised full cooperation to the Mueller team and is prepared to testify that as a candidate Donald Trump directed him to make contact with the Russians yes!
3: <laughs> yay Trump yes. made contact with the Russians yay oh it's all over Joy Behar can celebrate No more Trump. He's gone. It's all over for Trumpy McTrumper. No, it turned out that wasn't the case. That ABC report by Brian Warros was fake news. It was, in fact, fake news. The true and and utter fake newsosity of it was astonishing. It caused a fall in the stock market. At least that's what people are pointing to now. Because the difference between talking to the Russians before and after the election is enormous. It completely changes the story. So how could a reporter like Brian Ross make such an error? Remember what I always tell you, folks. Notice how the errors never go in Trump's favor, only against Trump. It's almost like they figure do as much damage as you can while you can and then clean up the mess when nobody's looking. That's what ABC News did. All right, team Buck Sexton here. I'm going to this hour uh, talk about the FBI agent who has been dismissed from the uh, Mueller probe that could shed a lot of light on what's going on now uh, across, well, the Hillary email investigation, as well as this special counsel's Javert-like zeal, Javert from Les Mises. those of you who are uh, musical theater fans, to try and bring down Trump and his whole administration. We're starting to see some elements of the swamp emerge. Uh, and it is not a pretty sight. We also will talk a bit about the response from Democrats to the Senate actually passing the tax bill on their side on Friday. It was nothing short of apoplectic, full-on, total freakout from Democrats. And if I have time, I'll we'll also get into Trump uh, making some... Big federal preserves, smaller, storing them to the states and the possibility of development. Uh, If I can, uh, Bear ears and grand staircase. Those are the monuments uh, out west in uh, Utah. And we'll talk about that. But first, there's a very important Senate race that will be decided next week. Uh, Roy Moore is running there and he um, has received an interesting endorsement uh, from the president. But first, let me just... Uh, tell you about the statement from the White House earlier today. This was aboard Air Force One right before we went on air. This was given to the press. It was not a press conference. They sp- they first spoke about how they're not surprised by the Supreme Court decision about the travel ban. I'll skip beyond that. Quote, the second thing I'd like to cover off the top is Roy Moore. This is aboard Air Force One. The president did speak briefly of Mr. Moore this morning from Air Force One to talk about the state of the race in Alabama and also to offer his endorsement. As we've said on multiple occasions, the president would much rather have someone in the Senate who supported his agenda as opposed to someone who did not. End quote. Well, what is going on with that race? We have somebody who can shed some light on the most covered senate race in the country right now uh leah for the special seat that's up leah brandon she joins us now she's an anchor at news radio 105.5 werc in birmingham alabama leah brandon great to have you
2: thank you so much buck and i think you're just talking about the swamp um that's what people don't understand that are outside watching this race alabama hates the swamp more than any other state in the country and they're going to want to send someone to Washington to support President Trump and definitely not a swamp dweller or an obstructionist and that's what the situation is
3: well can you bring me up to speed on where the rate where the polls are right now what the various campaigns are saying any any uh, sort of local, knowledge about our statewide knowledge about what are there a lot of robocalls? i mean where is the race right now between uh jones and Moore?
2: okay so the latest polling locally still has roy moore in the lead it's gone up and down sometimes within the margin of error uh right now some polls have him up five some have him up six some have him up two but every single poll has roy moore still In the lead. Interestingly, whenever a poll comes out that has or more in the lead, the local newspaper will run some kind of a story from one of the women who has, you know, thrown these allegations at him. Today, the latest story to come out is, I'm not sure if you remember the Debbie Gibson woman. This is the woman who has done a lot of work for Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden doing sign language. Well, she now has a brand new story in the paper today where she was coincidentally going through her attic looking for Christmas decorations when she came across a scrapbook where Roy Moore had signed a card to her, I believe on her graduation. And so she also now is out there saying he does know me. He remembered me. Uh, And so she's, you know, calling him a liar. So that came up in the paper today. Um, It, it seems as if any time there's positive information, another story comes out from one of these women. So, It's a constant barrage, lots of money being poured into the Democratic campaign. Doug Jones, he is plastered all over the television. And as you can imagine, Roy Moore has no money coming in from the GOP. So uh, it's going to be a question of turnout. That's what it's going to come down to, period. We do have a guy, an ex con turned, well, yeah, an ex con turned pastor. Who's been going around to the prisons in Alabama and registering voters and getting their absentee ballots in? We think he's five to 10,000 at this point. So I'm not sure that those are going to go for Roy Moore. We have a man in Tuscaloosa who just last week threw his name in as a write in candidate. He's an ex Marine. So there are a lot of things that are working against. Roy Moore. It's going to come down to turnout, and that's it.
3: Leah, one more question for you. And we're speaking to Leah Brandon, who is the anchor at uh, News Radio 105.5 WERC in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, Leah, I'm sure you are hearing from the folks of Alabama all the time about this race. I mean, we know that, yeah. right? They must be calling in, emailing, <laughs> writing. For those who are Pro And I'm asking you to give me your sense of it now. I know it can't be a scientific tally. Would you say a majority are willing to vote for more, are going to vote for more at this point because they just care first and foremost about Trump's agenda and having that Senate seat go for the Republicans? Or do you think a majority just flatly do not believe the allegations against Roy Moore at this point?
2: Well, it's funny because I don't think it's an either or. I think it's both. Remember, we had a primary where Mitch McConnell poured almost $12 million behind his swamp candidate. There were lies that he told about Roy Moore in the campaign commercials. So the people in Alabama already believe that Mitch McConnell and his ilk Are willing to lie and they do believe this came from him most of these stories and they voted overwhelmingly for president trump and they're sick of what's going on in washington and doug jones will block everything and
3: they know it leah brandon of werc in birmingham alabama thank you so much for joining us thank you buck love your show thank you so much um John, up in Alaska on K E N I. What's up, John?
0: Hey, I'm getting awful tired of watching the news where they keep saying Flynn lied to the FBI. I have seen on television Hillary stating she had no uh, classified email on her server. One lie after another. She she gave
3: one lie. Uh, well, 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 Hil- well, Hillary is. Hillary is definitely a liar, John. Nobody doubts that. It's true. I mean, she's definitely a liar.
0: You start going out there like they used to do on um, uh, Andy of Mayberry. Is a guy at the gas station when somebody did something. He'd say, "Citizens arrest, citizens arrest." I mean, if I ran across Hillary, could I say, "Citizens arrest"?
3: Well, no, because she didn't necessarily she didn't lie. But this is an important <laughs> distinction you're running uh, running up into here, John, because. Hillary was not set up so that she could be prosecuted by the FBI for lying to the FBI. She had the equivalent of a friendly fireside chat, lawyers present. You know, it was all very, hey, we're just this is a formality. We're just going to talk to you. Whereas I can assure you that anybody that's tied to Trump that's been caught up in the Mueller, prosec- or the Mueller investigation machinery, has been, where were you on this date? What happened here? Who'd you talk to? What email did you send? What'd you say in that email? Who did you talk yeah. to after that? People who think that it's so easy to be truthful to the FBI when their career and their freedom hangs in the balance have never been in a situation where those things are in the balance. That's what I, that's, I think, an important
0: yeah, point Trump for everyone. was told by Comey that um, Trump wasn't under investigation then right after that, with the FBI in the room, stated uh, that Trump couldn't appoint uh, Gorsuch as Supreme Court justice because he's under investigation. That's also lying lie in front of the FBI.
3: Oh, there are lies. There are lies all over the place here, my friend. And and the, uh, the Democrats are moving the goalposts. They're hiding the soccer ball. They're hiding the football. They're making sure that there's no way that we can get to an objective conclusion about this because they know that an objective conclusion would be that there was no Russia Trump collusion uh thanks for calling in from up in alaska john appreciate it shields high Uh, i want to talk to you all about the just to give you a sense where we're going here on the show gave you an update from uh from alabama uh looks like based on the polls looks like roy moore's going to win the president did endorse him and there are more allegations or more details about allegations still coming out but the polls seem to show that it's a tight race if not moore's race to lose still i want to talk to you about this fbi senior FBI official who had his hands perhaps in the Hillary email investigation and the Mueller probe against Trump, who is a never Trumper and had to be fired because of it. Oh, isn't that, isn't, isn't that special? As the uh, church lady used to say in the days of Dana Carvey. So uh, we will get into some of that. We'll also talk to you about the response from Democrats, which was just utterly and completely Unhinged in uh, after the tax cut passed in the uh, GOP Senate. I mean, I, I got to share with you some of the stuff. And people are – to say that they were his, his, in a hysteria about it is probably an understatement. Uh, we'll get into that. If I can talk a bit about state versus federal land and what Trump has done there, oh, oh boy, oh my. I have so much more to uh, get into here with you. So – Uh, 844-900-2825 844-900 buck. We will uh, get into that and much more right after this. Oh, and also I'll tell you guys a little bit about my time in uh, New Orleans. So those of you who are listening on on our affiliate WRNO in New Orleans, you can hear about my, my adventures in your hometown everybody. Love it down there. We'll be right back. Don't you think that we should all know if Someone from the FBI on the Mueller probe, involved in the Mueller probe, hates President Trump and was removed from the probe because of that. Because clearly it was uh, it had been made known or at least or at least the FBI found out that this person had a vendetta of sorts, a political vendetta against the president that we should know that. If it happened three months ago, why are we just finding out now? Here is what we know, and this is from uh, my friend Sarah Carter, who uh, publishes over at Circa. She's also a Fox News contributor. Quote, a supervisor, uh, supervisory special agent who is now under scrutiny after being removed from Robert Mueller's special counsel's office for alleged bias against President Trump also oversaw the Bureau's interview's of embattled former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. Flynn recently pled guilty to one count of lying to the FBI last week. FBI agent Peter Sturzak was one of two FBI agents who interviewed Flynn, which took place on January 24th at the White House, according to several sources. The other FBI special agent who interviewed Flynn is described by sources as a field supervisor in the Russia squad at the FBI's Washington field office. Sturzok was removed from his role in the special counsel's office after it was discovered he had made disparaging comments about President Trump in text messages between him and his alleged lover, FBI attorney Lisa Page, according to The New York Times and The Washington Post. Uh, Sturzok is also under investigation by the Department of Justice Inspector General for his role in Hillary Clinton's email server. All right, everybody. Let's just cut this down to its essence. A senior FBI official who, is, who was removed for, against whom disciplinary action was taken because he hates Trump. He made it known that he hates Trump. Oh, the FBI is beyond politics, right? Please, who believes that? I'm not saying nobody at the FBI is beyond politics, but the FBI is an institution, is just as subject to political uh, political influence and politicization, and in many cases more so than other federal bodies, especially after Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch were running the DOJ. Come on, everybody. We're not kids here. We know what's going on. We know how left wing the DOJ became under Obama's term. You know, are we going to trust the Pelosi, uh, Pelosi's Pelosi's and the Schumer's of the world to uh, to police it. I don't think so. So here's what we have. A Trump hater at the FBI was involved in both the Flynn interviews and involved in the Hillary email investigation, according to sources and reports out today. With regard to Flynn, don't you think it matters if one of two agents in the room with Flynn—and I should note, and this is not always the case, that sometimes the FBI just goes on their recollections and handwritten notes of the encounter. It is not always, to my understanding, recorded. And so that leaves open a bit of interpretation as well. Although that may have changed in recent years, that certainly was the case in the past. Uh that one of the two agents in the room with Flynn had it out for the president. Don't you think that matters, everybody? Shouldn't we know that? Should't that have been known and then he was put on or involved with the Mueller probe, and they had to take him off of that probe um, removed from his role in the special counsel's office and and this is the real kicker I mean this is where this is where the wow factor should should uh Jump out for all of you. And this guy, FBI agent Strzok, was reportedly the individual who changed the language that the FBI used for its Hillary exoneration effort. He was the one who decided to change it from recklessness to extremely, quote, extremely careless. And remember, then James Comey, Mr. All-About-The-Rules, right? Mr. All-About-Being-By-The-Book. Comey is the one who did the overtly political act of usurping the role of Loretta Lynch by standing in front of the American people and saying no charges against Hillary because Loretta Lynch was so clearly biased after her meeting on the tarmac with Bill Clinton that he decided to do the DOJ a solid that's what Comey did but that wasn't his role it was a political decision and Comey gave notes of his encounter with the president and in, in many people's view in violation of law perhaps even criminal law to reporters to publish to hit the president right So Comey is a political actor. We've known that all along. But now, and that's, I think, beyond dispute. I was standing and looking at the ocean waves crashing on the shore, thinking of how the justice shall cometh for Trump. If you look at Comey's Twitter account, you're like, who is this guy? Comey thinks he's like uh, a a cross between Wyatt Earp and the Buddha. Um, Okay, so then you have. Then you have uh, the the email language change for Hillary because they, they couldn't say it was reckless because you had classified on Hillary's server. You had multiple instances of it. And the statute says that recklessness without intent is enough for a criminal conviction. So with that, you have one guy here, and I'm not saying he's the only one, who it seems bailed Hillary out, set Flynn up, And was going after Trump as part of the Mueller probe. And we're supposed to believe that he's the only one? We're supposed to think that questioning whether this whole Mueller probe is a political hit under the auspices of the DOJ and the FBI? That makes us crazy? Please. We would be naive not to ask these questions and to demand answers. We would be foolish to allow the Democrats to continue to get away with the weaponizing of the Justice Department itself. Remember, these are the IRS targeting Tea Party people, my friends. All right, we'll talk about the tax, uh, the tax code that's, uh, that's coming up here in just a minute, the tax bill. you got to hear this stuff.
2: No, it is the end of the world. This health care, the debate on health care is life death. This is Armageddon. Uh, this is a very big deal because you know why? There's really a very hard way to come back from this. They take us further, more deeply into debt. What can you do but raise taxes? They contend that their gift uh, to corporate America of a trillion and a half dollars, could be up to a trillion and a half dollars, will be paid for by the growth it creates. And even their own people say nonsense.
3: Armageddon, Nancy Pelosi says. It's a a country. It's all going to fall apart. Nancy Pelosi, Armageddon, she tells us all. That's what the tax cut will mean for us. Isn't that amazing? I, I, I should note that how can we take these people seriously? How can you take the Pelosi's, the Schumer's, and others with any seriousness on issues like tax reform or tax cuts when everything is the financial equivalent of DEFCON 1? when no matter what the tax cut is we're talking about and look there's plenty of reason when you look at the corporate rate and you compare it to other other developed countries around the world plenty of reason to say that corporate rate should be lower and I think the corporate rate says uh, or the corporate rate lowering is a good idea I don't think it's the total fulfillment of the tax reform that we were promised I mean I remember asking Ted Cruz uh, in New York once when I saw him, I said, you know, are you going to really get rid of the IRS? And he said, look, if I have a mandate from the American people, we will dramatically shrink the IRS and we'll make the tax code go on a, on a postage uh, or on a postcard. You know, this is kind of what we were promised, right? And for those of you that, you know, are coming to the end of the year here, I know me, I got to send the IRS uh, or, or the Treasury Department, well, you know, I repeat myself, I gotta send the Treasury Department a check for the last quarter of estimated taxes and I just gotta jump through all these stupid hoops, paying way too much in taxes. Um and when I I see what the what the future holds with the debt continuing to spiral out of control, it is troubling. But let's not pretend like this is because of the Republican tax cut, Nancy Pelosi. I mean that's just insane. It's like it's like she's she has just gone bonkers here Uh, but she's not the only one let me just give you a little bit of an update here on what happened and uh, then I'll give you some of the the outrage I mean some of the journalists uh, and I know a lot of you are like Buck I don't care about these people but some of the left wing journalists you could just see them like oh my gosh like America's like
1: America's over because of the corporate tax cut you
3: know it's like breathe Democrats breathe it's going to be okay I'm, I'm sitting here a little annoyed that more wasn't done for individual taxpayers. payers. Uh, that's my take on this. I mean, sure, the tax cut for corporations is good, but I, I would have liked to see it lead with tax cut for people. Uh, I would like to see the fight for a flat or a fair tax and the tax code go from 70,000 pages to one. That's what I want. That's the America I want to be living in in terms of the tax code. But look, I'll take a cut in the corporate rate and hope that it spurs growth and hiring and all that good stuff, right?
1: But what about what about the children and food and like
3: – and and all the things like such as that need money in the government? They're really freaking out about this. It's not that bad. It's really not that – it's going to be OK, liberals. It's going to be OK. Kurt Eichenwald, who is a journalist for a public – I don't know, Newsweek or one of those publications. I don't know. He's not Newsweek. Don't quote me on that. He's with one of the publications. One of the things that still exists that people don't read. And uh, he he actually advocated on online on Twitter for millennials to leave America because America is over now because of this tax cut. So th- that's what passes for sage commentary on the left. Here's what some of the facts and figures are that we have to work with on this tax cut. Quote, as a good portion of Americans were sleeping, Senate. Oh, isn't that so cute? The way The Washington Post starts that out, by the way. In the dead of night, as if we're not all going to find out about it the next morning and it's going to lead the news cycle all day and into next week, right? I mean, w- w- what difference does that really make? Anyway, in the dead of night, when Americans were sleeping, the tax cut was passed. It sounds a little bit like a movie trailer for a scary movie. Yeah, you know? And then when they just thought it would all be OK. The monsters came out of the darkness, You know, I mean, you could see it all happening. All right, here we go. Senate Republicans passed a $1.5 trillion tax bill in the wee hours of Saturday morning. The bill squeaked through the Senate in a 51 to 49 vote, almost entirely along party lines. Senator Bob Corker, Tennessee, was the only Republican who, with Democrats, voted against the bill. Oh, Corker. Uh, of course, not seeking reelection, so not going to face his constituents again, but wants to, you know, wants to go out on a high note from the perspective of the New York. I'm, I'm not quoting anymore, obviously. Wants to go on a, out on a high note from the perspective of the New York Times and the various and uh, sundry journalists that will be fetting Corker for as long as he is useful. He is a useful idiot for the left on this, my friends. That's what's happening here. Back to The Washington Post write up, though. But to hear most GOP lawmakers tell it, the legislation was a victory to be cheered and at last an achievement to be flaunted, heading into next year's midterm elections. This is – I should note, everybody, this is news reporting. This is not commentary I'm writing to you. Look at the words that they use here, squeaked through, uh, you know, they're they're making it so very – the wee hours, entirely along party lines. (sighs) <sighs> flaunted heading into next year's election. It's, they're just dripping the words in this Post editorial, drip with disdain. Did I mention, by the way, the ABC reporter got a four-week suspension because they couldn't back him up anymore, Brian Ross. Uh, they realized it was, a big, it was a big boo-boo, big mistake. I think I might have left that out. Back to the Washington Post here, though. So they're saying that this was done and it was late at night and it was oh so bad. And then they get a whole bunch of Democrats who are very upset about this. Here's uh, Senator John Tester of Montana. Only a few hours before the vote, he took to Twitter and wrote, Happy Holidays, everybody. It's the night we're going to be voting on the tax bill. I just got a tax bill 25 minutes ago. I want you to take a look at this, folks. This is your government at work. Here's the bill as it's written. Can you tell me what that word is? And they said, Montanans deserve so much better. Saying, oh, because there were handwritten notes on it. You know what else was handwritten? The Constitution. There, I said it. And that worked out okay until liberals got a hold of it. Um, And then there was just more. So they're very upset about the process here. Senator Bob Menendez. Oh, that's right. He escaped. He he avoided. I shouldn't say escaped. He did not escape. Pardon me. I misspoke. I'm not trying to Brian Ross this thing. He avoided prison uh, with a hung... Jury, uh, he did not escape. Now I'm picturing him like Shawshank style, crawling through the, you know, the uh, the underground tunnels and everything. Senator Bob Menendez wrote, "Okay, this is absurd. One page of the new GOP tax plan is crossed out with an X. Another page is just a line. Is that a cross out? Is this page part of the bill? Why am I asking these questions before we vote on it? I mean, that's they are going to the level of." How the process is the problem. Now, Democrats usually love process, but they have to find as many objections to this as they possibly can. They're even using, like Senator Dick Durbin, the hashtag GOP tax scam. And uh, Tammy Duckworth writes, maybe Abigail could get a job helping Senate Republicans write their GOP tax scam. And she has, I believe, her daughter here with uh, lots of squiggly lines on a page. She's writing, you know, kids – artwork stuff um they just they're uh they're finding all these ways to hate it but we can't figure out why is it why is it better for the american people if taxes or if corporations pay higher taxes why is that better i'm not i'm not sure it's as good as some people want to believe it will be for the economy in terms of the long-term benefits and everything but why is it a bad thing do the people who pay taxes really not pay enough taxes the democrats View Uh, The answer I should notice is almost certainly yes. They just want – they want taxes to be higher. I, unlike some other uh, folks out there on the right who have platforms from which they uh, opinionate, I note that it is problematic from a math perspective that we don't deal with the spending that we have now just all accepted as the norm here at the spending on predominantly future – well – Current generations' health care that future generations will pay for. That's what the real cost is, everybody. Uh, we are not addressing that at all, and it is a problem. And I should note that if it is at the $22 trillion mark, let's just say, that all of a sudden everyone realizes, whoa, wait a second, this debt is a problem for us. This is causing major disruptions in the economy uh, interest rates have risen. There's a there's there's a reason to be worried here about what the debt means for the economy. If it's a twenty two trillion or whatever it may be, and Trump is president, every dollar spent of the debt will be blamed on him by the Democrats for all. I mean, for all time. They will. They did this to Bush. The Great Recession, as it was called at the end of the Bush administration, was the product of decades of left-wing social engineering via credit and credit markets. This is not the story you'll be, you be told in the big short, the Hollywoodized version of the crash. This is not the story you'll be told in a vast majority of uh, colleges that have courses on the subject, but it's true. You go back, you read about the Community Reinvestment Act in the 70s, you take it all the way up into the 90s, When after many years of the federal government saying that credit scores were less and less important and in fact credit scores were discriminatory with regard to lending to the 90s when Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were just running wild giving all kinds of loan guarantees and loan money out to people and the government was so very much at the center of all this and at the end who's blamed Bush and Wall Street. And Wall Street, even though it gave more money to Obama than any candidate in history, I believe, and gave more money to Hillary than to Trump by a huge margin, uh, Wall Street is still the fault of Republicans. Isn't that an interesting little storyline change that they just work in there? But I I am trying to, from however I can, whenever I can, sound the alarm about how The debt has been a bipartisan catastrophe in the making, mostly Democrats, but Republicans don't have clean hands when it comes to the debt. And if it finally starts to unravel while Trump is in office, just be prepared for the whole storyline to be. It's all it is all Trump's fault. That's what they will say. It won't be true, but in a panic, they may manage to convince enough people that it is Trump's fault that we have major problems and the whole Trump agenda gets stalled. That's my concern there on taxes. On this tax cut, uh, you know, the Democrats are <laughs> Nancy Pelosi saying it's Armageddon pretty much sums it up. They're not even dealing with the substance of it. For them, this isn't about taxes. It's just about if Trump signs something that's good for the American people and the stock market's at an all time high and unemployment's at 4%, and the country has a sense of optimism and purpose and prosperity that it has not had in years. Uh, with all that, they just have to find a way to – well, to hate on Trump but also to to try and downplay that Trump signing a legislative – a major legislative uh, agenda item in year one is significant for what could happen in year two. It's just about the optics and the, and the political messaging. They don't really care about – the Democrats for all their whining about, the struggling – Uh, middle class and how they care so much about the middle class. The middle class got crushed under Obama, thanks in large part to Obamacare and competition from foreign workers for jobs that many middle class and lower middle class Americans would very much like to have. Uh, The Democrats are always selling out the middle class and then pretending they're their best friends and taxes and tax cuts and the tax code is just another Another place where you see that in action. Uh, Maybe we'll talk a little bit about the shutdown. Although, as you know, I'm very I'll give you I'll give you a summary of the government shutdown fight that's happening right now that will take only a few minutes because that's all we need coming up after this. And then uh, maybe we'll discuss the uh, shrinking of a federal land preserve out west and more more sky is falling. Chicken little. Oh, my gosh. What's going to happen to us? Stuff from the left on that. And, uh, and then I will tell you a bit about my uh, time in New Orleans and also the World War II Museum here and some Team Buck Speaks. That's all coming up in the next hour. I mean as soon as I finish this show, I'm just like am I, am I going for gumbo tonight? Am I going to eat some gator? I'm thinking about it. There's a place I know. I know a guy who can get me some, some gator on a stick. I'm thinking about it. I'm told it's not that good. It's like a uh, grand uh, like frog legs. Mais oui, bien sûr. It's like frog legs except a little gamier. We'll get that, and much more coming up. stay with me so the the government shutdown could happen uh, but it won't <laughs> so that's the here's the long and the short of the government shutdown discussion uh this is when uh, this is when you have a lot of posturing by uh, politicians, and you know it's it's going uh, it's going absolutely nowhere um, and in, and in fact, Trump tells. Confidants, this is from the Washington Post, that a shutdown might be good for him. Here's, here's how he sees it. Quote, uh, quote from the Washington Post here. President Trump has told confidants that a government shutdown could be good for him politically and is focusing on his hardline immigration stance as a way to win back supporters, unhappy with his outreach to Democrats this fall, according to people who have spoken with him recently. Hmm. Hmm. I don't see it. I don't think this is going to be – a. don't think this is going to be a thing. Uh, I don't believe uh, that you're going to have a – I don't think you're going to have a a shutdown here because you haven't in the past. Because Republicans have let the Democrats – have let the Democrats construct this narrative where anything that happens that has a shutdown – most of the government continues on. And as many people point out, you have a government shutdown on Saturday and Sunday every week, and not everything. Not, the world does not end. Um, but now you've got the after. By the way, I should note that Trump saying it would be good. That was from uh, about a week ago in the Washington Post. Now, today you have the Tom, Yeah, the New York Times. You're saying Trump defending himself after the Flynn thing says the FBI's. I'm sorry, I went to the wrong story there. They think a, a shutdown's not going to happen. And they're saying that it's going to be tricky for the GOP. That's what I'm trying to uh, to get to here. Uh, so they think a government shutdown is unlikely to occur because Republicans will just get blamed for it. So anyway, all the posturing you'll hear about it, it doesn't really matter um, because they won't do it. They won't do it. I think they should do it, maybe, you know? Why not? Force the Democrats. To say that for people in the country illegally, we are so devoted to them that we are unwilling to budge and fund the rest of our beloved federal government. That's not, that's the part of it that they can fund or defund uh, because we want to make sure that dreamers get permanent legal status. And oh, by the way, their families can come here too, and all the rest of it. So this is my whole thing on the shutdown. Not going to happen. Don't pay attention to people say it's going to happen. If I'm wrong on this, I'll eat my words, which is possible. But I haven't been wrong on this yet. So that's why I made this a short segment. Coming up here, we're going to get into a whole bunch of stuff, including my adventures in New Orleans. And then uh, a little talk about the World War II Museum here. Some Team Buck Speaks coming up. And, uh, yes, maybe some football talk and some other things. Stay with me. All right, team, great to have you with me here in the Freedom Hunt. 844-900-2825. 844 buck uh, We're going to talk to you about kind of a, a grab bag of uh, different stories coming up here in just a moment. Some interesting news from the NFL, uh, maybe the shrinking of some vast federal lands uh, out west by the Trump administration today. And oh, if I have time, even some other stuff we'll throw in there. All right, Tyrone, let's talk a bit about the latest from the NFL. I saw this, I thought about you over the, over the weekend and, and this morning. A uh, hundred million dollars that the, or is it ninety million dollars? The NFL says that they're going to give to social justice causes. What is going on here?
1: Well, okay. So okay, here we go. It's, yes, it, it was. It was rumored to be a hundred million. Then it's $89 million mandatory, and then there are certain owners who have pledged to push that number up to one hundred million dollars for different things. I know the United Negro College Fund is one of the things that one of the charities that will receive money. It adds up basically, though, to two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year from each owner for seven years, plus some other like, you know, things that push things up. But it's um, it's a nice gesture, but it's not exactly what the players initially set out to get. And that's why the players, you know, board that sort of put this together kind of broke apart from this agreement. But less players did protest. And that was sort of the goal.
3: And is this because, you know, look, the NFL's had a tough year with all the you know, with the kneeling and the ratings. And also, as you and I have discussed here on the show, the product on the field just hasn't been as good overall as it has in, in other years. But does do NFL owners feel like they need to do this, in, in your opinion, Tyro, mostly to uh, bolster or maybe repair relations with players? Or is it with also fan bases who may feel like, what's going on with these owners and the way that they treat the players?
1: I think it's, um, it, it's both. One, they, again, and I, and I know people might complain about why I bring up the NBA. The reason I bring up the NBA is when the Donald Sterling situation happened where he said those racial slurs were on tape, the players immediately felt like the owners and the league office cared about them. Therefore, when it came time to kneel, it was just a conversation, a memo, no rule, no, nothing. The NFL has spent their entire existence for at least the last 30 years, trying to destroy the players' union and destroy the players' leverage. Therefore, when they go to negotiate with the players, they have absolutely no trust whatsoever. So in order to, to persuade players to do things, they, they just have, there's just no trust between the two of them. And I think people, there are a certain uh, section of fans who are, sort of look at the players as labor and they look at themselves as labor because they don't run their own company where they work and they say you know what why are these billionaires because I mean people still realize a billion is a lot more than a million and why are these billionaires beating up 32 billionaires beating up on players there is a sentiment that's out there especially in the minority communities that they don't care at all about the players
3: I gotta say and I was down here I'm down here in New Orleans still and so many people walking around the streets in, in Saints jerseys. This is a town that loves its NFL team. Uh, but I, I saw something that made its way to me. And, you know, I, I don't get a chance usually to watch the games on Sunday, but I will see anything that crosses over into the realm of politics. And, all that. and then I usually ask Tyrone, I'm like, Tyrone, what happened with this? Uh, or, or if there is something that's particularly newsworthy outside of just the, the sports aspect of it. And I saw this Gronkowski hit. And people were all freaking out about it on Twitter. Uh, Gronkowski, I I saw this hit, Tyrone. It seemed like the dirtiest thing I had seen in a football game in a very long time. Gronkowski is a Patriot, very very well-known, very prominent player. He got a one-game suspension, gave the guy a concussion. Seems weird to me. Like, why wasn't it a more severe punishment given where the NFL is going with concussions and everything else?
1: Because it was Gronkowski. It's very strange. Remember the hubbub with Cam Newton when he kind of was a... Had a sexist remark to the reporter, and then it turned out that the reporter had kind of racist things in her past, and that whole Hubble we we talked oh, yeah. about before. Yeah. Well, people pointed out, like rightfully, there's about four or five different occasions where Gronk said things, Gronkowski, Gronk is his nickname, says things that were far more misogynist and was just saying, oh, that's cute and okay, Toots, and stuff like that, literally. And they just laugh it off, like, oh, that's just Gronk being Gronk. For some reason, Gronkowski, the fun loving, Gronkowski family and his brothers played in the league, and his other brother was recently on Shark Tank, pushing a product of Jims. And this whole family is just this fun-loving people who kind of get insulated a bit from prey. From uh, it's like
3: the it's like the Joe Biden effect for Gronkowski. Like every <laughs> every over the line idiot thing that he does, it's like hey, that's just Joe being Joe,
1: right? And because most players, it would have been a two-game to three-game suspension with the uh, feeling that once they appealed they would reduce it to two or one. The fact that it was one right out the shoot was solely because he's him and he's popular and he moves jerseys and he smiles and that's it because there's actually no football reason for it. It was the dirtiest play by far this year. He gave a guy a concussion and he was angry because – and he wasn't even mad at the player. He was mad at the referees and took it out on the player.
3: That's crazy. Yeah, if you guys haven't seen it, by the way – the, the players on the ground and Gronkowski just basically does like a, a running low clothesline to the pl- the back of the player's head. He's completely defenseless and can't see it. And then I saw one game suspension. I was like, uh, I feel like you get a one game suspension for like spitting on the field or something. It seemed like it was not enough. One but last one thing, thing
1: time. on that real fast. Yeah, go ahead. Because of the, the way the NFL contracts are set, Gronkowski needed to hit certain plateaus in his contract, if he does serve the one game, he stands to lose $5.5 million. That's why I hope that the suspension holds up, because a, a fine of $50,000 will not hurt him. $5.5 million because he can't hit the incentives in his contract, that really would hurt him.
3: Okay, so that is actually a pretty big, at least financially speaking, that's a pretty big hit if they stay with it, I mean, no pun intended. Uh, real quick, Tyrone, I know we've got a couple of minutes before we got to get into uh, the next uh, series of stories here in the next segment, but uh, the Supreme Court's looking at betting and the federal prohibition at the federal level. I've never really understood why this is uh, in the government's purview to ban. I've always felt like, first of all, it's not banned. It's allowed in a whole bunch of places. I'm here in New Orleans. There are ca- there's a casino right near where I'm staying, right? I mean, there are casinos. There's there's legalized gambling. and. Uh, lotteries are just legalized gambling, which disproportionately affect low-income people, by the way. Yep. So, I, you know, I feel like this has got to go. I feel like people, this prohibition at the government level is not
1: going to last. And, and it's costing people money. What, what happens is, you, you, for a while there, the, it was the leagues who were pushing back. And the leagues, as we well know, have a lot of money. And they would pump it into politics and say, hey, Senator, hey, blah, blah, blah. Hey, Governor, we don't want this because it'll tarnish our game. Well, now that there's now a hockey team in Las Vegas, there are soon to be a football team in Las Vegas. W- what are we doing here? They're 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 allowed to gamble on sports there. There's sports gambling in Delaware. We just don't have any big time teams there. It's just time to just do away with this. And there's there's revenue to be made. And we have to start recognizing that the world is changing and get out of the way and let this progress happen because people are still betting. Anyway, let's not forget, it's not illegal to bet. It's illegal to book. And in a state like New Jersey, where I grew up and still live, there's been rampant gambling forever. For long, So you might as well let the government get their cut, because otherwise it's going to still be through illegal means.
3: Yeah, except in New Jersey, the guy doing some of the gambling outside of like Atlantic City, it's a guy named Tony. It was like, "Hey, I'm uh, I'm handling all the different action here on the book, and you better pay up." You know, <laughs> it, it helps
1: organized crime, right? And it's always and used to be, and it used to be organized crime that paid that helped grease the skids to keep it illegal. With organized crime now taking a you know taking a big step backwards, I think it's just time. It's yeah, just get I- this done.
3: I think so too i mean it it's just untenable the the restrictions with the exceptions with the restrictions you can't keep it uh can't keep it straight anymore Tyrone, thank you, sir. Always great to have you uh shed insight and wisdom on all all these things thank uh, you and and uh, from the n f l side of it i gotta say i'm you know eh, I'm wondering how the league's going to come at all this next year when they, they they've got some p r work to do on a whole bunch of fronts, so we'll see how all that goes down i want to share uh all with all of you some of my Adventures here in, uh, in New Orleans, so we'll get into some of that. Also, some Team Buck Speaks where we hear from you listening um, and much more. Stay with me. So I want to share a little bit about my New Orleans adventure while I'm down here uh, broadcasting from WRNO, one of our uh, fine affiliates. I, I got to say, this town, the food is incredible. Uh, The food is as good as advertised, and people who say that New Orleans cuisine is is almost a global cuisine of its own, they are not overstating. I have eaten eaten myself into multiple food comas down here, uh, all kinds of different dishes I've been trying, everything, so the food is as advertised, and I even made the trek over to the uh, the phenomenal and world famous commander 's palace while I was down here really enjoyed that place it 's an institution, but uh, because Miss Molly likes to be a little adventurous and because it was her birthday, we did a, a few other things that uh, I think are worth uh, telling you about first of all i I wanted to get out into the the bayou and it was a a little uh, a little cold I will say it was a little cold to be out there on those big uh Fan boats or whatever those I forget what you call them, but the things with a giant looks like a giant fan on the back of them, and they they take you going all around the bayou very fast. Um, I, I enjoyed that. Otherwise, they said we would probably see some alligators, and you know, as a non-local, I get in my head like the big gators that you'd see from. Well, crocodile, Dundee's crocodiles, but you know what I mean. Like the dinosaur looking, you know, can take down an antelope with one bite. And we saw some crocodiles, but they were about the size of like, uh, you know, they look kind of like an iguana on steroids, you know, maybe. I mean, like an iguana that had been working out a lot, you know, working on his pecs. Not really what I had in mind for, uh, for an alligator, for the fearsome living dinosaurs of the Alligator world. Uh, I saw an. Al- they had a, in captivity at the place where we uh, did the did the tour. They had an albino alligator, which is kind of cool. You have to keep them in captivity because they have n- no chance of survival when they're born at an alligator farm. They have to sell them to somebody to keep because, uh, well, people like to have them because they look cool. Um, and there 's nothing you could never release them out in the wild or anything because they have no natural camouflage. They have red eyes They're pretty creepy it 's cool though uh, but yeah, we made our way around the bayou looking for some big gators and saw some little ones, like, "Hey, little fella, you know not I would not be overly worried if one of them uh, tried to try to come after me in the water, uh, although I say that now, but if I were eye level i don 't know, Molly and I talked about what it would take. There was one stretch where there you could already see there's some little gators. And it was maybe, a, I don't know, I want to say the, the, the swamp area was a quarter of a mile across of just water and what it would take to swim across there at night. What would be the, and I, I said I think I could do it for, for, I don't know, maybe I could do it for 50K, uh, which I know is a lot of money, but like that's scary. <laughs> Swimming in croc or alligator infested waters at night. Uh, I think that's, that's an extreme sport that I probably would not partake in. Uh, unless the money was like really good, uh, but anyway, we had fun chasing around some alligators, and it's a little cold out there. Although we had a warm stretch down here, where it was in the 70s for most of my time, so it was. Thank you, New Orleans, for making the weather so nice. Uh, another thing we did was the, and the, the history buff in me got excited about this uh, was the uh, French Quarter Voodoo tour, and we, you know, we walked around. A guy was telling us some stories about the French Quarter and the various. Uh, uh, legends that are told. You can kind of break it down into the pirate stories like Jean Lafitte. Uh, I find that stuff really interesting because the pirate stories are at least – they're based in history that is maybe a bit exaggerated or history that is a little bit uh, uh, spiced up Creole style. Um, but then you have the, uh, the ghost stories, which I have to say I, I do not get as – Excited about, although tonight I'm sure my TV Is going to switch on and off Many times, I would note that I did not know Until now, and I studied German Clearly poorly because I didn't know What Uber was recently on the show uh, But uh, the uh, the Poltergeist, I never thought of it As a German term, and it is, it's like a Noisy ghost, that had never occurred At least that's what our guide said, I didn't check it But I learned that little tidbit that I wanted To share with you, The ghost stories don't really Do it for me, you know, that's kind of what I want to disappear into the nearest tavern and maybe grab a little uh, adult beverage for the rest of my walk through the French quarter uh, but uh, I did really enjoy the pirate stories and the the whole backstory of Louis uh, well New Orleans first as a French colony and uh, and then the different uh, historical uh, evolutions that it went through as it changed hands and changed ownership and such a fascinating merger of uh, of Caribbean, West African, uh, French, Spanish, and then American culture and and people all in one place. It's pretty incredible, uh, and the voodoo aspect of it. I have to say, I'm I'm not superstitious. So uh, I say that though, and you can tell by the way I'm saying it that I kind. Sometimes I feel like I kind of am, uh, just because better to be on the safe side is my mentality, and. The reason, for example, that I have such a tough time watching the, uh, the movie The Exorcist is because as a Catholic, there's some resonance to that. And I, I met a priest once who was a very normal guy. I sat next to him at a dinner and he told me that he was well, he was one of the Vatican's people for exorcisms, uh, which was a – we didn't get into too much in the way of details, but that, that stuck with me for a very long time. Uh, the Voodoo stuff, very interesting. It has this positive uh, light that has been cast on it in recent years. People generally think about it much more so in the context of voodoo dolls and and black magic and the dark side and uh, and evil, right? And that's but now they say, well, voodoo' is actually just a merger of West African ancestral worship and traditions with some Caribbean, uh indigenous cultural and religious practices and then with catholicism cuz people were baptized in large uh large numbers so that's a uh, that's a component of all this that i just you know the voodoo stuff i find really interesting because it also kind of makes things uh a little you know makes things a little bit uh creepier for me and you know, we went into a, a little voodoo store where they were selling uh talismans and yes voodoo dolls and all that and that 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 history and that religious practice it it is uh that was an int- that was a, a worthwhile and uh, uh interesting component of of our tour down here um you know I'm not a particularly late night guy or or a big drinker I do enjoy a bit of you know tequila here and there and I drink some wine but Uh, There was so much more to this place than the Mardi Gras Bourbon Street party scene. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just not really my jam. Uh, There's so much more to this place and it was really fun to experience it. And look, one of the best parts about being a radio host on over 120 stations across the country is that I have a a great reason to go and visit so many of the different – uh, areas that play my show over the radio wave. So this was a really fun trip here in New Orleans. And uh, I want to just tell you about the World War II Museum on the other side of this and some thoughts about how it made me think about a problem we face today. Uh, and and then we'll do some Team Buck Speaks. So uh, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Uh, if you want to call in, share some thoughts by all means. Also, officialteambuck at gmail.com. Tell me what you think about all this or anything else that comes to mind. We'll be back in just a few. So, team, I'm down here in New Orleans for the weekend. Love it down here, as I've been telling you, and uh, very much appreciate the folks here at WRNO hosting me on radio. Uh, but I, I just got to tell you that of all the activities and uh, and the fun I've been describing and and this, this experience down here, my, my first time in, in Louisiana, definitely not going to be my last. Uh, I'm, I'm already looking forward to, Getting an opportunity where I might be able to uh, get back down here for some reason. So that's where I I just want to say, though, that the World War II Museum, I'm not somebody who would generally advocate for going to a museum on your first visit in a place unless it was really special. Um, I, I actually tend to mock a little bit the impulse that we all have. I have it, too. You go to certain countries and you have to go to the museum because if you don't, you know, it's like, oh, were you in Paris? You must go to the Louvre. Uh, Because if you don't, then everyone's like, oh, well, you're just not uh, a cultured person, sir. Uh, So you feel like you have to go to some of these places because you, you know, yeah, you want to see it. But I'm not going to lie to you, especially if you go. On a, a weekday, like I remember my experience at the Louvre in Paris, so I'm speaking of specifically, and and everyone's like, go see the Mona Lisa. I mean, I saw the Mona Lisa the way that you would see a postage stamp from 100 yards away on a wall because there were so many friggin' tourists everywhere jammed in shoulder to shoulder that I'm like, you know, this isn't exactly the awe-inspiring experience. Da Vinci's genius isn't exactly exuding from, you know, the other side of the room, which is like a football field away from me here. And I'm like, I think that's the Mona Lisa. It could have had a big bushy mustache, and I wouldn't have been able to tell because I couldn't get anywhere near it. And often with either really celebrated exhibits or uh, something that's temporary, right, something that comes into town and and all of a sudden everyone has to go see it, that's the experience that you will have but, you know, just going to a new museum cold if you don't know what's in there can be a it, it, look if you want to do it, of course, by all means, God bless. But I think that people feel an impulse to go to museums because there's a kind of social pressure on us. What do you mean you didn't go to the, you know, you didn't go to the, the Uffizi Gallery in Florence. You, you didn't go to the, you know, name it right. One of the great museums in the, in the world, whatever it may be. Uh, this World War II Museum down here in New Orleans is is amazing. It is incredible. It is really, really well done. And it is also uh, one of these things where I know we all come into it with a degree of knowledge. And that means that you can appreciate, I think, much more the experiential aspect of what the World War II Museum does. It's broken down and there's a whole bunch of different exhibits. I spent – a couple of hours uh, there, and I want to spend more. I got to tell you, Miss Molly ditched me. Straight up, ditched me. I'm like, honey, I've I've got to head into the radio studio soon. You want to come with me? And maybe you know you can. She's like, no, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay till closing. She's still there, I think, right now, or we're on air. At least she's going to be closing it out here in a few minutes. Uh, and and I was like, wow, Miss Molly's really taken by this place too. She was just enraptured with uh, with these different exhibits. So I did the Pacific Theater first and then the European Theater, and you go through, and they've got very detailed sets and actual uh, – they've got videos playing that really bring you up to speed, and you walk through the timeline as you walk through the museum and the artifacts and the different – the uniforms, the weapons. Of course, Miss Molly's making fun of me. I spent way too much time looking at the different weapons on display. Uh, it would be a personal – point of pride for me at some point to be able to look at any World War II movie, of which I have seen many, and say, you know, hey, that's a I – mean, I, I know the obvious was Browning automatic rifle, Thompson submachine gun, you know, you go through all those for sure, but, you know, there's uh, some real variation in the weaponry and uh, I, I'd like to get even more in-depth on my analysis of all that. Anyway, but, you know, Miss Molly asked me a really profound question. And we're walking through the Pacific Theater, and she just said, you know, why, why did the Japanese want to do all this? You know, why did this happen? And I, I know that a lot of you are jumping out of your chair already with an answer to it, but when you think about it, we still don't really have enough of a historical perspective, I think, on just how evil Imperial Japan was, and given the similarities that I've told you about on this show— between Kim Jong-un and his regime and Hirohito's Japan. And remember, the Koreans, the North Koreans specifically borrowed ideology and origin story and all kinds of stuff about the regime for their own purposes. But what the Japanese did in the Philippines and China and Korea, the experiments on human beings, the biological warfare, and they were As evil as the Nazis just different in how they did it and they allied with the Nazis so they're really an extension in many ways of the Nazi regime and and that came through today and I think that that's something that the American people we we would be well we'd be well advised to go and and brush up on that part of it the Pacific campaign and the evils of Hirohito's Japan because of the echoes to Kim Jong-un and North Korea today You have to go to the World War II Museum if you're down here and you have the time. It is epic and well worth it. I can assure you of that. All right, team, we'll come back to some Team Buck Speaks in just a few. Stay with me. Okay, team, it's time for a little special New Orleans edition. New Orleans, as as I say it as a New Yorker, uh, of Team Buck Speaks. Before I I get into the message box here uh, on Facebook, uh, I just want to tell you a quick story. So I was in... a a, an uber which i rely on very much whenever i visit uh, different cities i prefer not to have to deal with the hellish weights that sometimes accompany rental car company situations right you just i've spent so many hours at the avis budget hertz desk in my life that anything i can do to avoid that now i am uh, absolutely in favor of so uh but back to what happened in the in the Uber? So I'm there and I'm talking to Molly. We're on our way to the French Quarter uh, here in uh, New Orleans, and the driver kind of does the. He looks up when we get in the car. And I'm talking to Molly. And I can tell he's sort of looking looking at me in the rear view, and sure enough, he kind of goes, "You know, I think I know. I think I know you from somewhere." And I said, "Well, sir, if you listen to uh, WRNO New Orleans." Uh, the radio station down here. Uh, then you probably hear me. And he goes, Yeah, yeah. And I think I think I saw you on Fox too. And I said, Well, sir, uh, thank you so much. Great to meet you. And we had a very, very nice chat. He was a very nice, uh, very nice gentleman. And it was just really cool to be down here and, and visiting in Louisiana. And sure enough, come up with. Uh, I'm not sure he would officially consider himself part of Team Buck, but we'll give him an honorary Team Buck. Membership just because he listens to the show And he met me and, and Miss Molly And gave us a nice ride down to the uh, the French Quarter here where we had a lot Of fun and I discovered a drink Called a Hurricane which is kind of like Drinking sugar with Alcohol mixed in uh, But but people like it I will say um, So anyway let me get into some of uh, The latest on Team Buck Speaks here because we haven't done it in A few days um, Alrighty we have We uh, have Kirk, with the following buck, I loved your book review on Friday as a devout Catholic. I love how your show is a political one, yet you fold in your faith from time to time. A perfect example is the Eucharist being the strength for Dracula in his physical and spiritual battle. I'm also impressed that even one of your books is G.K. Chesterton. Anything from him is heavy but more profound every time you read a tough passage. Your style as a radio talk show host is so unique, humble, and refreshing. Thank you, Kirk from Houston. Well, thank you, Kirk from Houston. It's very kind of you. And Chesterton is a heavy lift, but it is worth it. I am telling you, it is. Uh, it, it, there are profound insights in that author's uh, in that author's paragraphs. You should definitely go and uh, pick. And you, by the way, if you have an e reader of any kind, if you're somebody who has a Kindle or even if you just have the Kindle app for your smartphone, you can download. In many cases, some of the best books you can get are free, or they're maybe ninety nine cents uh, when they fall in the category of pre, uh, uh, of pre copyright. There, unless it's some company that's trying to make money off of like the Scholastic book side of things, you can usually download them for free. Um, anyway, there's that. Uh, we have Matt writing in with the following. Buck, you've spoken about Geronimo a couple of times now, and I'd like to share a family story with you. My maternal grandparents and great-grandparents lived on the Navajo reservation from the late 1800s until the 1950s. They ran a trading post in Shiprock, New Mexico. My grandmother tells the story of when she was very young, Geronimo and his band rode up to their home and demanded food. My great-grandmother had hidden her children. My grandmother was hidden in the bottom drawer of a chest of drawers. At the time, they had very little food, so my great-grandmother stood her ground and required Geronimo and his men to do work in exchange for food. He agreed, and she fed them. For several years after that, whenever Geronimo traveled through the area, he would stop by their home and leave game sometimes a deer, turkey, or antelope, in payment for her generosity. My mom still has that chest of drawers and relates the story to her grandchildren. Hope you enjoyed this. Thanks for always being the voice of reason in this insanely confusing political world. As always, Shields High. Well, Matt, uh, Shields High to you. Great story. Very, very cool. Interesting stuff. This audience is the most wonderful collection of uh, brilliant and kind-hearted patriots. It is a special privilege to get a chance to speak to you. Day in and day out, Monday through Friday, my friends. Uh, Let's get into Adam here, writes in with the following. You know, I get so into the Team Buck Speaks that sometimes I forget how long I'm going here. I have to keep an eye on the clock. And if you want to be a part of this, if you want to write in, it's just facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. All right, Adam, with the following, you talked about being a dad last weekend. As a dad, I can say that nothing prepared uh, prepared me for the first time I saw my son. The sleep deprivation until the child can sleep through the night. Fatherhood will test you in ways you could never imagine. But I can't think of a more rewarding pursuit. But don't enter it lightly once the child arrives. Be prepared to be second fiddle to the child's needs. Well, Adam, I hear you absolutely on that one. And I uh, look forward to the day, hopefully sooner rather than later, that I will uh, follow in. The footsteps of so many others listening to the show, including yourself, in daddom. Already, unfortunately, working a little too hard on the dad bod after this New Orleans experience. I don't know what it is, but when they, they mix in grits and hot sauce and other sauces and put seafood in there, I just eat a lot of it. I it's a, there's some, They're putting something in there they're not telling me because I just keep eating it. I turn to Molly and I say... Yeah, honey, I think uh, I think my belly is full. Uh, I think I, and then all of a sudden, nom, 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 nom. I'm just chowing down on you know, whatever it is. I even had turtle soup when I was down here, something that was a first for me. And uh, I have to say I really uh, went after it. So um, m- m- we have one more here. Uh, Michael writes in with the following. Uh, Buck, my wife and I are not Christians and do not celebrate Christmas. We gladly say Merry Christmas. And wish our Christian friends a happy holiday and have no desire to have nativity scenes removed from public areas. Our question is, if non-Christians celebrating Christmas would be guilty of cultural appropriation, if someone insists on everyone everyone saying happy holidays, should they not receive Christmas cards? Uh, Should those who demand nativity scenes be removed go to work on December 25th? Should those who demand we all follow their godless dictates be required to do as they say? Merry Christmas to you and Miss Molly. Well, Michael, I'm just going to let your—I'll let your, I'll, I'll let your uh, questions stand for themselves there, uh, because I otherwise, if I tried to answer each one of them, we would take up the rest of the segment. But I—I I think your point is made with the questions that you asked. Uh, so. Uh, Francis writes in with the following, love listening to your podcasts on iHeartRadio. Thank you. You make, your, you make the drive into work a lot more interesting at 530 in the morning. Um, Brussels sprouts, I'm English born and bred and I only remember them boiled. Your recipes sound delicious, but never experiment on a large gathering. Uh, the Con- Whoa, we're covering a lot of ground here. The Constitution. I saw a mug advertised on an English Facebook page. It said, and I quote, Make America Great Britain again. To my horror, this website is serious. I enjoy all my amendments, especially the second. Thank you, Buck, for your entertaining stuff from Francis. Well, thank you, Francis, for listening, and hope you enjoy, whether live or on the podcast, everything we talk about here on the show. I have to say there were some very amusing Posts and memes out there on social media about Prince Harry and his uh, his new wife to be, his fiancee uh, Meghan Markle. Uh, some people have pointed out that Miss Molly looks a little bit like Meghan Markle. I agree. Miss Molly's a little more lovely, but I agree uh, there is some similarity there. Uh, I don't follow the royals very closely, but there was a funny theory about how the the uh, the offspring of this union. Could become like the, the merger of Great Britain and America. If you look at the, you know, the bloodlines and the monarchy and Americans, uh, you know, US citizenship, people are saying this is how the Brits will take back America. But I, I think that that's, uh, while unlikely, very, very amusing. Uh, Kimberly with the following Buck, you must watch The Outlaw Josie Wales. It is awesome. We keep trying to tell you, LOL, I promise you won't be disappointed. A huge thanks for having Tonto on. I pray we get justice for Benghazi, finally. He gets so very upset and very understandably so, makes me just suffer inside watching him suffer. Hope you and Miss Molly have a beautiful trip, maybe a cute little pit pup at the shelter if she can make you go LOL. Shields high from another OSS gal I'm so happy for your new show. I trust you more than anyone to give it to us straight. Thank you for all the hard work and the deep dives. The history deep dives are to die for. Well, Kimberly, thank you so much. And history deep dives are, are coming up soon. So get ready for that, my friends. Uh, it's going to be a lot of work, but I enjoy the work. All right, we've got time for one or two more here before we got to close out the show. Um, Bill writes in, happy birthday, Molly. Well, thank you, Bill. Molly's birthday was over the weekend. We had a great time. And I will pass along that Bill says, Happy birthday. Uh, What else do we have here? Um, Brian writes in uh, with the following Listen to this morning uh, of rebroadcast of Friday's show. Is it possible for you to have someone put your books on your website as well as other recommended reading? You know, Brian, that's a great idea. I'll work on that. I just. You know, I don't want to be one of these guys who has all these ideas and doesn't execute. I, I need to get these ideas done, and uh, I am getting them done. And I will make sure that we uh, continue to, you know, like my, my staff here, my Freedom Hut crew of Ty and Amy and, and everybody else who works with us on the show. Uh, we, we got a lot going on, so I don't want to just. D- have a deluge of ideas and a dearth of execution. So that means we've got to get got to get stuff done. All right. So with that, I'm going to close up the Freedom Hut here for uh, this episode, New Orleans style Freedom Hut. It's been great down here in Louisiana. Wonderful people, as I've been saying. Fantastic food, great culture. Uh, I-, I love it down here. I mean, I love the French Quarter, and I don't even drink or party very much to be honest with you so there's a lot of other stuff to do down here and I really enjoyed it and uh, got as much of it in as I could Uh, please do download the show uh, subscribe to it as well so you'll be in the stream for those history podcasts they're going to start in 2018 special thanks to our affiliate down here WRNO New Orleans and uh, and the fine people of New Orleans for making a a great first stay for me here back to the Freedom Hut NYC tomorrow until then Shields High